more than 90 years, St. Cloud State Hockey has had a home in the Granite City. Boasting two Hockey Hall of Famers in Frank Brimsek and the late Herb Brooks, many players and coaches have made their mark on St. Cloud State hockey lore. With former St. Cloud State greats like Mark Parrish and Brett Hedekin, to more recent standouts like Jack Ashan and Jimmy Schultz, two Patty Kazmaier Award finalists and 16 Division I All-Americans have paved the way for current St. Cloud State men's and women's teams to continue the Huskies hockey tradition. This week's guest is one of many who have made their mark on St. Cloud State hockey history as the Huskies Warming House podcast presents this week's Healthy Scratch interview segment. And welcome to the Healthy Scratch interview segment on this week's uh, Huskies Warming House podcast. And joining us is NHL, former NHL defenseman, former St. Claude State defenseman, Brett Hedekin, who is a current broadcaster for the San Jose Sharks. Brett, thanks for joining us here on the podcast. Yeah, thanks, guys. Thanks for having me on. Always good to talk uh, to some St. Cloud boys. It always is. And, you know, it's not just St. Cloud. You know, their their season's going great. But uh, you got uh, an opening night tonight uh, down in San Jose uh, taking on Arizona. So, again, you know, still involved in the game of hockey and uh, excited to get the season going, I imagine, aren't you? Yeah, I think everybody was last night to see the NHL kind of kick off. And then, obviously, the Shark season starts tonight. Um, oddly enough, the San Jose Sharks are not in San Jose. They are in Arizona. So they, because of Santa Clara County, where the Sharks stadium is, um, has basically shut down. That's what we saw with the San Francisco 49ers, how they had to play uh, the rest of their season from Arizona. While the Sharks have kind of followed that same blueprint, if you will, and will start the season tonight in Arizona uh, on the road. Obviously, the first, I think, eight of 10 games is on the road for the Sharks. Uh, but either way, home and away games will all be done, done from Arizona and then wherever the team is they're playing on the road. You're uh, no stranger to travel. You mentioned to us uh, pre-show that you had just traveled back from Minnesota a little while ago. North St. Paul native. Uh, uh, let's kind of go back and kick it, kick the calendar back a little bit to the mid-1980s. Uh, you, you know, how did you kind of end up at St. Cloud State? You end up finishing your career as a Husky from 1988 to 91. All WCHA first team, the first St. Cloud State player to ever earn that honor. Um, record for most points for a defenseman in a single season with 48. Um, but what brought you to, to end up becoming a Husky? Did, did you have a lot of college offers? Was there, there's some scholarship things involved. Uh, what brought you a little bit more north of northern St. Paul? Well, you know, my senior year, um, I really kind of things kind of came together for me. Um, I didn't play a lot as a junior of all things in high school. And even as a freshman, I didn't play a lot on this on the varsity either. So, you know, I was really looking at my senior year as an opportunity to to definitely uh you know, get an opportunity to play college hockey. I think my main goal was to, to be an Olympian someday. And in order to be an Olympian, I thought the best way to do that is to go to college and to have a chance to play in college somewhere. So, you know, for me, when St. Cloud gave me a call and said, hey, they're looking at me, and I had a couple other universities looking at me, but St. Cloud was the only university that offered me a partial scholarship. And I say partial because I know the year that I came in, they recruited 10 freshmen that year three Canadian defensemen and I was a defenseman my whole career and they didn't rec recruit me as a, as a defenseman. They actually recruited me as a forward. So, but regardless of that, I, I took the opportunity and, and ran with it and obviously uh, accepted the offer from St. Cloud. Um, my, to be honest with you, I really wanted to go to Duluth and that was one of the uh, universities that I really wanted to go to. And, and unfortunately that didn't work out, but that's when St. Cloud stepped in 
and offered me the scholarship, took it, ran with it. And uh, gosh, the, the rest is, I w- wouldn't say history. It's just the rest is a dream come true. I mean, to, to get that opportunity to play for St. Cloud. Yeah, 78 points in 105 games played as a defenseman. Not too shabby. Uh, your sophomore year was kind of your big break, but I want to go back. You mentioned a really key piece that I was just about to touch on. Uh, you're a defenseman that, uh, especially for the era in which you played, not a lot of defensemen were known for their speed game. Uh, you know, coaches, I guess, uh, probably at the high school and collegiate level wanted to turn you into a forward. Had a couple of cousins that played at Michigan State that you kind of emulated growing up with that power skating. Um, you know, why was there not really ever a feel for a forward? Did you ever think you could be a forward? And what really made your game so successful in terms of the speed aspect? Um, yeah, you know, I asked my parents, you know, could they see my skating ability as a kid? And they always would, you know, now that I've been beyond the game, I, when I've asked them that question, they said, yeah, we never wanted to tell you that you're a great skater or, you know, uh, you're a good hockey player. But, you know, watching you as a kid growing up, they always said I was really competitive and and. Um, being a short guy on my team, I was typically the smallest guy on my team until I finally grew, uh, as a junior in high school, I grew seven inches and then things changed quite a bit when you go from, you know, five, six to six, two in a matter of a year. Um, but you know, I tried to play forward, even in high school, they tried to move me to forward. And, you know, I always say, even watching, I have two daughters now and I've coached them in soccer. And, and one of the things that I've, I realize when watching athletes play, it's either you have the forward gene or you have the defenseman gene. <laughs> and I just was born with that defenseman gene. I love to have the play in front of me. I love to be able to shut other players down probably as much as, you know, as, as fun as it is scoring goals. I actually enjoyed, you know, taking one-on-one against the best players in the game. And uh, that's where that competitive fire, I think my parents saw at a young age saw in me. Uh, but all that being said, uh, I just it felt like home when I was a defenseman, and that's where I always wanted to play. Uh, Brett, the WCHA conference, as we knew it back in the day, you were playing it, uh, you know, some pretty prominent teams uh, back then and there. Well, as a defenseman, what kind of talent uh, did you happen to go up against? And uh, as far as, you know, back in that era, too, I guess, was there a team or a player that you remember uh, being kind of nice? Is that that's a guy that I really want to go after, or is this a guy I really want to challenge? Do you remember anything specific about your playing times against any some familiar WCHA opponents? Um. Well, interestingly enough, probably, you know, I think it was our freshman year, we had Bowling Green and we had them in the, uh, was it the, the, when we were the birth, the, the 12th seed of the, um, or actually no, well, anyway, we played Bowling Green and you guys will have to tell me when we played Bowling Green it was my freshman year, my sophomore year, but Rob Blake was a player that I remember playing against and saying, gosh, that was a, you could just tell there was a guy who was going to play in the National Hockey League. And then Nelson Emerson was his teammate. I actually became teammates with him. Uh, in St. Louis, my, my very first couple of years there. So, um, but he's the one guy that really comes to mind as a freshman, I was actually moved to a forward position as I mentioned. And so after that season, I really went into the coach's office and said to Craig Dahl, I said, listen, I'm, I appreciate the opportunity. You know, I appreciate you recruiting me. Um, but I'm not a forward. I said, I really believe in myself as a defenseman, give me a shot. Uh, to come back and be a defenseman here next year. And and basically, I think he thought he'd cut me coming back the next year. Uh, but I guess, again, gave me the opportunity of sophomore year and things kind of started to come together and then it really took off my junior year. But all that being said is is thinking about being forward, playing defense, seeing a guy like Rob Blake, knowing what the level would have to be if I wanted to continue to play at the WCHA level. 
Glad you mentioned St. Louis, too. 1988 NHL draft, 198th overall to the Blues, uh, one of a handful of teams you played for in your career. Uh, but interestingly enough, I believe actually you went to the 1992 Olympic, uh, Olympic tournament before you actually played a game in the National Hockey League. Uh, and this Olympic tournament was important, I would say, to you for a couple of reasons, not only because of the hockey, uh, but because of a future familial aspect. Can you kind of take us through both the tournament itself and then what significant moment in your life I kind of started there at the 92 Olympics? Um, well, there was a couple of things. I mean, after my junior year uh, in college, when I had a really good season, I was on spring break uh, down in Florida with a bunch of my teammates and ended up getting a call from my parents who had gotten a call from the national team saying, hey, they want you to fly home tomorrow, fly to Russia with USA Hockey and represent the United States in this tournament called the Pravda Cup. And I knew that this was an opportunity of a lifetime and played four of the best games of my life. After that tournament, I didn't realize the coaches of that team were the coaches of the next Olympic team. Dave Peterson was the coach and uh, gave me that, or at least asked me to try out that summer, made the national team. So I left school my senior year, not even knowing if I'd make that Olympic team. And uh, eventually right before the Olympic games, they kind of put a sheet of paper you know, on the wall saying, hey, you're either going to France or here's a plane ticket to New York to go home. Uh, I was on that that uh, <laughs> that roster to to represent the American, you know, USA and the Olympic Games in 1992 and a dream come true. So that was a really surreal moment. But yeah, at the opening ceremonies, uh, met my eventual my wife uh, eventually there. And and uh, but I think ultimately, when you, you think back of her dream of becoming an Olympian and then winning her gold in the 92 Olympics, and all the work that went in to get there, um, I think that was what we had in common is just that work ethic and that commitment it takes to become an Olympian, first of all. And then obviously, to, you know, for her to win a gold and then for me just to, to try to perform at a high level and then eventually play pro after. But uh, that was all set up from a dream when I was 10. So really fun to see it come to come to fruition. Also went to the Olympics in 2006 as well. But uh, I, I know before um, I told my mom that actually I was, we were going to have you on the show. She's like, you got to ask about Christy Yamaguchi. You got to ask, you got to ask. So um, the one funny tidbit that I did find though, is uh, I guess out of the two of you, who would you say is the better skater? And the reason I ask is because <laughs> if you go on YouTube to Buzzfeed multiplayer, there's a video titled NHL player tries Olympic figure skating uh, happening to involve you. Can you take our listeners through that and kind of how that uh, whole soiree went? Well, first of all, I, I'm not going to make excuses, but those skates that I had on, they're figure skates, obviously they're not hockey skates. <laughs> And they were literally the ones at the rink that you rent from behind that probably haven't been sharpened in, in 10 years. They've got pads on the inside. It was, I mean, my feet hurt for, you know, two weeks after that, that clip we taped, but uh, without question, uh, I am the third best skater in my house. We've got Christy number one, obviously my daughter, Emma, number two. Uh, my oldest daughter doesn't skate too much, a little bit. So I would rank her maybe just below me. So I'm, I'm about third in my family. So there's no question my wife is number one, though. Uh, going back to 2006, uh, Brett, yeah, it was also uh, another big year for you. I think in every hockey player's dream, but you find yourself on the Carolina Hurricanes, end up hoisting a Stanley Cup. Um, you know, I guess as a player, I think it's something you dream about. It's something that, as you mentioned, you work hard, you sacrifice a lot, and you finally get to lift the best trophy in all of sports. Uh, talk us through what that was like to raise the Stanley Cup and what that moment was like on the ice as you're watching the clock counting down, knowing that you're about to win the best trophy in all of sports. 
Um, well, it's a, it's a big journey. It's a long journey uh, to get to that point, right? It's uh, that moment in time in game seven against the Oilers. We were in Carolina. We were the home team, you know, with an opportunity to win that game with a minute to go, right? We're up two to one. Uh, you know, Rod Brindamore is out there. Justin Williams, Mr. Game 7. Eric Stahl, you guys know him, was for the Wild. Obviously just moved to Buffalo. But then myself and Mike Commodore were on the ice as well to ice the game with that minute to go. For us to execute that face-off and um, knocked it down out of the air, I gave it to Stahlley and Stahl gave it to Williams, and he goes down and ices the game, puts it in the empty net. We win 3-1. to one. I think that moment in time – you kind of hit the reverse button and you think back of all the chances and the times that you were facing adversity, the times you doubted yourself, the times that um, you didn't know if you could continue on. I'll be honest with you there in, in an NHL season, particularly when you're younger, when you're learning how to deal with the ups and downs of being a pro athlete, the ups and downs of making a mistake, maybe costing your team a goal and maybe the potential of that goal cost the team the game. And then you got to sleep at night and then you got to, you know, you're hard on yourself uh, at younger in your career. And you don't have a lot of mental tools at that time to combat all the little things that it takes to continue to move up in the National Hockey League and to continue to be a consistent player night in, night out. So the culmination, I guess, to answer your question to win in 2006 um, is a lot of people that helped you get there. Um, it's, you know, universities like St. Cloud for the opportunity to, to get you to the NHL sports psychologists, it's trainers, it's your parents, it's uh, the calls to your mom and dad on nights that you've had a tough night and they pick you up. You know, all those things kind of come together. And when that moment you win and Rod Brindamore gets the cup and he gives it to Glenn Wesley, 20 years in the National Hockey League, never won a cup. And Glenn turns and yells my name, hey, Hetty, and gives me the cup. I mean, that's a, it's a pretty amazing feeling when you raise the cup over your head and I can remember saying to myself at that moment is like, holy cow, I, I was right. I was right not to give up. I was right to continue to look at myself and find ways of getting better. I was right to, to, to pick my teammates up as much as I could. All those things that flood your mind and the things that you learned through the journey is what you think about that moment when you raise it. So um, it's a great feeling to be a cup champion, but I think more importantly, what really is is meaningful to me is to be able to play on teams like that that shows you what teamwork can do. I've got a couple of follow-up questions to that. Uh, interestingly enough, the team that actually won the opening draw in every game of that series ended up winning the hockey game. So it's one wow. of the few NHL series that uh, has that statistic. And I do have a couple follow-up questions about that. But I want to go back to a moment in time when you talk about not giving up and feeling like you might er not ever kind of climb that mountain, if you will. I believe uh, from 1992 to 94, you're with the St. Louis Blues, but then you're traded to Vancouver and go on that magnificent cup run only to lose to the New York Rangers. Uh, at that point in your career, um, I know we hear a lot of NHL guys talk about it, but did you almost have that feeling that you wonder, will I ever actually be back here in a Stanley Cup final? What did that final that kind of got away from you mean to you as far as that development to get there uh, eight years later? Um, well, that was a great moment for me because I, I came from St. Louis where things weren't kind of happening for me my first couple of years in the NHL, uh, you know, tore my MCL and kind of had to build my leg back up uh, to get to the point where I was skating the way I could. It never really kind of came together for me. So when I got traded to Vancouver, you know, Pat Quinn 
who now has since passed away, uh, just really took me under his wing, taught me and, and calmed me down on the defensive side of the game, which I really appreciate. Even to this day, I, I think he had a lot. And it was a big reason why uh, I had the NHL career I did is because a guy like him picked me up when I absolutely needed it. Um, but that run in particular showed me for the first time what winning looks like from the inside, uh, what a winning attitude looks like, um, what commitment and accountability looks like. All those things that when you see it in real time with your own eyes, it, it's what I always, I always say that you can't unknow now. You can't unknow all those things that you've seen uh, in those winning environments. So when I, we lost, I guess to answer your question, I would say that I didn't think at that moment that I would never get another shot at it. But as years go by and you don't get back to that moment again, or you don't even get to a conference final again for a long time, you start to wonder. Um, but those are the moments that I feel, you know, when we talk about when you raise the cup, that those are the moments that you say, gosh, I was right to just keep going and keep having the right attitude about the way I went about my life, about trying to look at myself to get better every season, no matter, you know, get stronger, get better, watch more film, uh, work sports psychology, work on all the aspects of my game personally. And, and I, cause I think when you continue to strive to get better as an individual, no matter what it is, no matter how big of a mountain you have to climb, if you just keep putting one foot in front of another, you, you eventually track down a large part of that mountain. You don't even know it uh, until you get there. And so that was the first time I realized what winning looked like and was always hoping to get back to that moment again. Long journey. Uh, led the league in shorthanded assists in the 97-98 season. A uh, big part of that trade, that Pavel Bure trade with Ed Jovanovski in 99 in Florida, uh, traded to Carolina. And then, of course, on that infamous team, like we mentioned, Martin Gerber and Nett to start the season and Cam Ward as a rookie getting getting it done. I um, also don't forget uh, former Husky Matt Cullen on that roster as well. Um, but, I, but I really want to talk about August 12th of 2006, dubbed Brett Hedekin Day in North St. Paul, uh, presentation of the Stanley Cup, a parade, your high school retiring uh, of your jersey at your high school. What did that day mean to you? Because as you just mentioned, you know, the epitome of finally getting that moment to raise the cup. Then you have that waiting period before you come back in August. Um, you know, was that moment almost even more special than the time where you were raising the cup uh, uh, after a Stanley Cup win? Uh, I'd just say equally. Uh, you know, I, I think it was, uh, for me, the moment uh, when you get the day and with the cup, they, they give every player, obviously you guys know the story, I'm sure, but if, for the people listening that might not know the story, is uh, I think back when the New Jersey Devils won it, um, was that in 2004, I believe. And maybe you guys can clarify that at a later date, but um, that's when they started to award the winning team a day with the cup, every player and every person within the organization. And so on my day, that was the day that uh, they gave me the cup. And the one thing that came to mind is really, I wanted to bring it back two places, one North St. Paul, where I grew up playing. Um, the, the first time I ever really saw the cup was the year before I won it. And it was, Ben Clymer, who had won it with the Tampa Bay Lightning. And uh, they always say, hey, stay away from the cup. Don't touch it. You know, don't, don't get near it. If you've never won it, it's going to jinx you. Well, at, since 2000, up to 2004, it, it hadn't worked. I've never been near the cup, and I still haven't won the cup. So I was like, heck with this, man. I'm going to go to my friend's party, and I'm going to go and look at the cup. I'm going to go spend some time with it and be around the cup. And I think it was the moment that 
really inspired me to refocus and to recommit myself to what, what I was playing for an opportunity. Maybe, maybe one day I'd have a chance to get my name on the cup. And so that inspired me after I won is to bring it back to North St. Paul. Cause I'm sure I'm positive that many people from North St. Paul had never seen the cup before and never been around the Stanley cup to see it within arm's length or even touch it. And to see the names on the Stanley cup, um, that was something that I really wanted to provide the, the town that gave me the ability to play the game of hockey. So bringing it back to North St. Paul was definitely uh, uh, something that was on the priority list. And then the other thing I wanted to do is I wanted to take it to St. Cloud for the exact same reason is to give it the opportunity for the players uh, that might not have never seen the cup for students, the university, and to obviously call Matt Cullen to have him bring the cup in uh, with me uh, into St. Cloud was something that I definitely wanted to do. So um, special day, to be honest with you. I wish I could do it over again because I would make it last uh, 48 hours and just try to spend as much time as I could with that cup and then obviously give it back to those communities as well. 2004 was also when the NHL All-Star Game was here in St. Paul was when I actually first uh, was able to touch and not hoist the Stanley Cup, but to give it a, a nice one-handed hug, if you want to call it there, as it sat inside the River Center. Uh, but, Brett, you know, like any good NHL careers, uh, at some point they do come to an end. And, and now, Brett, you are in your, uh, you could call it your second career as a broad caster with the, the San Jose Sharks uh, I guess was this sort of like an out of the blue opportunity or what did the uh, the broadcasting you know sort of secondary career come at you and uh, you know you've been pretty successful down there in the Bay Area well first of all thank you for that um, when I retired you know you know living in the Bay Area I never played for the Sharks and but the Comcast or NBC Bay Area uh, a week after I retired they had called Christy and I to come in and do an interview. Hey, what are these two Bay area uh, athletes now doing now that they're both retired? And I think, you know, potentially they might've been feeling me out to, to do the pre and post game uh, on Comcast or NBC Bay area to cover the sharks. Uh, so a week later, I got a call after that interview saying, Hey, would you be interested in doing pregame and post game? And I'll be honest with you. The first time they called me to ask me that, I, I was like, no, I don't want to have anything to do with hockey. I want to get away from the game for a while. But uh, Christy was actually the one to say, you know what? You know, it might give you something to do a couple days a week to call the Sharks and at least do the pre and post game and heck, get out of the house for a couple days a week. So <laughs> that's kind of how it started. And, uh, you know, you either can do it or you can. I think the very, you know, the first month or two, you know, it's like a deer in the headlights a little bit. You're trying to get your sea legs. But they told me, hey, we think you can do this if you want to continue on. And uh, that's kind of what led to doing some uh, color on the radio uh, for the Olympic Games in Sochi. I did that for NBC and Westwood one. And that's kind of how I swung into doing some, uh, some play-by-play -play color. I did it with Randy and uh, Randy Hahn and Drew Amenda, who were the color and play-by-play uh, -play guy for the Sharks. Once in a while, they throw me in as the third guy inside the glass for broadcast. And that's kind of how it started. And since then I've been doing it ever since. Um, I, like you said, I love being around the game. Uh, it's kind of what I know. It's been in my blood since uh, back in North St. Paul, and, and here I am still around the game. Yeah, well, if you ever uh, feel like you don't want to get up anymore a couple days a week to go do the Sharks, we'd be happy to fill in for you, Brad, I promise. Uh, I bet you would. <laughs> finishing your career, also don't forget, uh, you're one of only uh, – 
just over 350 players to play a thousand games in the national hockey league. And I believe your thousands game was against the team that drafted you uh, in St. Louis. Um, but one moment that I really wanted to kind of touch on here, you're the only player as you sit uh, next to one of my shoulders here uh, on the mural behind me, uh, you're the only player to have your number retired by St. Cloud state number 24 on November 6th of 2010. Can you kind of take Husky fans through that moment, how it kind of came about and what that moment meant for you? Wow, it's uh, it's pretty surreal. I mean, and just a, an honor, obviously, to be in the rafters at St. Cloud. Um, you know, I, I think the one thing I said when they retired my jersey is, you know, opportunity is all you need in life. Um, when I think back at the number 24, and, and I really want people to recognize that when they see the number 24, you have to think about is it's an opportunity, okay? It's an opportunity because... I actually got the number 24 by default. Uh, we were the last two guys in the locker room to pick our numbers. Most guys out of the 10 freshmen that came in, eight of them, they asked for a number, they got it, right? And then there was just two other guys, me and Doc Del Castello, who we were the last guys to pick two numbers, one of 25 or number 24. And I basically, when I walked in there with Doc, I said, well, Doc, what number do you want? He said, I'll take 25. So the last number available was number 24. So by default, that was the number I got, and now it's in the rafters. And I'll, all I'll say is, you know, it doesn't matter, you know, what happens in your life. I, I think what matters is opportunities are going to present themselves. And I think when those opportunities are there for you, recognize them, and then number two, make the most of it. Because you never know what can happen. And I think if anything, that number should recognize and, and represent uh opportunity and making the most of opportunities in life because you know don't let anything get in your way don't let anybody or any one thing put you down or make you believe you can't do something because i hope that number can actually tell people that that they can Strong, strong words from also a 2017 St. Cloud State Hall of Fame inductee as well. Uh, Brett, we know you're kind of strapped for time, so I only have one more question, then I'll kick it to my co-host here. Once again, thank you so much for taking time to join us today. Um, I want to highlight a, a very important moment as far as putting yourself out there and not being afraid, and that's the 2009 Celebrity Family Feud, 2019 Celebrity Family Feud. Uh, can you kind of tell us about what that opportunity was like? Did you ever expect that you'd be on some sort of game show like that, or did those experiences kind of almost culminate into you feeling comfortable with that opportunity? Uh, no, the Family Feud was just a great thing. You know, my, my wife started a foundation, which will be 25 years ago this year, uh, called alwaysdream.org or you know, it's always dream foundation, but you can find us at alwaysdream.org. Uh, and we support early childhood literacy. And I feel um, when I talk about reading and we read to our kids every night when they were younger and now they're, they're thriving in school, but not everybody has the opportunity to have books in their house like we had uh, for our kids. And so we really want to teach parents and give kids in underserved areas opportunities to not only uh, have books in their home, uh, but also teach the parents on how to sit with their child and read. Um, there's a lot of numbers that will qualify the fact that a kid will have success in school when their kids and their parents, excuse me, are involved in their education. So we're extremely proud of that. And so doing the family feud, all that money would go to Christie's foundation. So it was something that we really thought would be a great opportunity to raise some money if we did well. Obviously, that was always the kicker. We want to do, we want to win the uh, the speed round, if you will. And I think obviously Christy and her brother did that, uh, and we raised a lot of money. But 
Um, you know, speaking of education, one thing I want to slide in here is that uh, just the other day, uh, about a month ago, I just graduated from St. Cloud State. So um, I finally, you know, chipped away after leaving my senior year and never going back to college. I had chipped away, went to University of California, Berkeley. I went to uh, you know, University of San Francisco and then took some classes from St. Cloud and University of Phoenix. And eventually uh, I've accumulated enough credits now to finally graduate. So not only is that number up there in the rafters, I'm now proud to say that that number, that guy that was wearing that number was a co- is a college graduate. So uh, a really proud moment for me to be a St. Cloud State alumni. Uh, Brett, last question for you. And again, thank you for joining us. Um, I'm not your typical college student either. I'm 34. Um, I spent three years at Iowa State and uh, have certainly tried to chip and claw my way back through it. And, you know, we'll have one more year after this before I call myself a graduate and an alumni of St. Cloud State. But uh, Brett, going back to your days here um, on campus, you can see I'm actually here inside the KBSD radio studios here on campus, uh, even throughout this pandemic. But uh, first of all, do you follow the Huskies hockey at all? Uh, And then two, any message to the hockey team and three to the hockey the Huskies faithful, um, I guess, you know, from down there, the great old good uh, state of California. Um, first of all, yes, I follow St. Cloud. I've been watching, you know, them play well from the beginning of the year. And I, I'm always followed St. Cloud and something I keep track of. I'm very proud of the Huskies and very proud of my alma mater. Um, you know, Brett Larson and I have, you know, become close. I think, I, I guess I would say is, you know, he's called me in the summer. I actually spoke to the team this last summer, Um, Brett Larson wanted me to do kind of a motivational speech to them. And, you know, I was really honored for him, you know, to, to, for him to ask me first of all, and then secondly, to, to kind of meet the players and to give them a sense of another guy that's beyond where those guys are now is I was, I was sitting in your shoes back in that day. And here I am on the other side of it, looking back at those moments as being really special. So uh, for me, you know, when I always think of St. Cloud state and my time there, it brings a smile to my face because there was so much to life that I was learning. Uh, There's so much to hockey that I was learning and being on my own for the first time in my life. I think those are just really special moments. And I, and if I, if I could do anything again, and, and a lot of people, I don't have really any regrets, believe me, but I would love to do that again is, is go back to college, uh, repeat those years because they were so fun. Uh, and I just loved being a, a student athlete. So um Really exciting to watch Brett Larson, how he's pulled this team together, and really exciting to see the Huskies continue to climb in the national rankings here this year. It's been fun to watch. Brett Hedekin, former St. Cloud State defenseman, former National Hockey League and Stanley Cup winning defenseman, and of course, current broadcaster for uh, CSN down there in the Bay Area with the San Jose Sharks. Brett, I know it's a game time for you. I know you got things to do. So thank you for taking the time to spend with us here on the Huskies Women's House podcast. And maybe we'll have to have you back on again soon. Again, thanks for joining us. Sounds good. Love to, guys. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Brett. If you're looking for more Huskies Warming House podcast content, there's a place for that. Visit us at huskieswarminghousepodcast.com and follow our Twitter page at Warming House Den for the latest news, notes, updates, prizes, and more. Don't forget you can find us on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, Spotify, and more. We also are on Google Podcast and would love to hear your feedback on the show. Drop us a line at huskieswarminghousepodcast at outlook.com or leave us feedback in the feedback section of the Huskies Warming House podcast website. And finally, if you know any Huskies hockey alumni who would love to be on the show, let us know and we just might make it happen.
And thanks again to Brett Hedekin for joining us in his very, very busy schedule. Again, as a broadcaster for the San Jose Sarks down there with NBC Sports California. So uh, really good to see, you know, obviously uh, talking with him in his uh, hockey career, but also uh, kind of that, you know, just interesting story uh, again with, you know, what turned to be uh, out to be like, an interview focusing on them that ended up turned into a, a career opportunity. I thought that was pretty cool. And, uh, you know, in this industry, you know, I hate to say it, no, I think it's a, it's one of those, uh, I guess those truths that, you know, are not often said is that, you know, sometimes you just need one little foot in the door to get in and uh, to showcase your talent. And uh, sometimes you only have one. And for Brett, glad he was able to make an impression and uh, he does a pretty good job down there um, on the call there for the, the Sharks organization. Yeah, he does. A very articulate guy. And I know people think, well, yeah, he's on national broadcast, but I mean, he just, he's, he's a very eloquent speaker. And I think he's a very motivational guy too, very positive. And I think that's the biggest thing I took away is, you know, he's just one of those guests that, you know, you feel better about life after the interview. And I, and I thought, you know, if someone can do that in only 30 minutes, imagine what he does over the course of a three hour broadcast to get people invested into the game of hockey. So, and as you mentioned, it is a cutthroat business in, in the media world. So uh, congratulations to him. He's earned it with his NHL career. He He's earned that opportunity and he's really taken it and ran with it. Uh, so we really appreciate him uh, making time for us little guys in the media world. So uh, um, with that, Nick, we do have, of course, uh, some hockey games coming up this week for both the men's and women's hockey teams. Women's hockey team is back in action Friday and Saturday against Wisconsin and men's hockey takes on Miami on those same days. So should be uh, an interesting weekend for both squads. Of course, the women's team coming off of a win and a shootout loss against Bemidji State and men's hockey really looking to re group reeling after a straight sweep by Western Michigan in Kalamazoo. But nonetheless, we'll have it all for you in episode number 46 on Sunday, healthy scratch interview on Tuesday. And we bid you adieu from the Huskies warming house podcast. 